Hey, Britton, how hard would it be to bring the lyrics back up? Uh, I just want to be where you are. You know, I try to pace myself because I know I have to preach for the next 65 minutes. <laughs> Somebody said, you better not. I just might. Don't mess with me. I'm feeling my help already. But I, I just find myself singing these lyrics and it ministers to my soul. And I, I know that I'm going to have to preach at least for a few minutes. And I feel like sometimes when I get ready to come up that I'm just going to come up and be hoarse. You know, I just, I'm blowing my vocal cords. I was like, pace yourself, Michael, stop singing. You got to preach. I, I just can't. I can't. Right? Because these words are true. I just want to be where you are. I just want to be near your heart because there's nothing like your love. I, I couldn't always sing those words. I didn't always want to be near to Jesus. You know, he didn't find me in the palace saying, hey, Michael, I need some help. Would you come in and work with me because I'm trying to spread the gospel? No, he found me in a different place. And his love wasn't always enough for me. That might be your story, too. It wasn't because I chose him. He chose me. It wasn't because I loved him, but he loved me first. And so we sing these words not because we've come to do God a favor, but because he's revealed himself to us. And that's why we want to be where he is. That's why we want to draw closer. That's why we want to leave some things behind, renounce all else, because there's nothing like the love of Jesus. You know, you might not be a crier. That was my story, too. I think the first time I cried for real was when I was 23. I was talking to Jomar, and I got mad at myself because there was liquid coming out of my eyes, and I couldn't stop it. Now it's like every Sunday. It's like, man, Michael, stop crying. That's all right. I've tasted and seen. There's nothing like his love. And I pray that that's our heart today. We've been walking through the book of Exodus, and we've spent the last nearly two months looking at the plagues. And something that I felt that was beautiful as we were walking through the plagues was it was a reminder that there's nothing like the love of Jesus. And there's no place else in the world that we should rather be than in his presence continually. And so as we've been making our way through Exodus, if you're new with us, I want to just spend a few minutes before we pray and jump into Exodus 10, looking at verses 21 through 29. I want to just do a high level, just a quick catch up if you are new with us and if you've been with us for a while, just a reminder of how we got to this ninth play that we're going to look at. Something that we realize is that there are three series of significant signs that the Lord was performing throughout these plagues. And the first Three, we saw that the Lord had a specific reason for this series, and he says it through his servant Moses. It was by this, you shall know that I am the Lord, chapter 7, verse 16. And then the Lord in these series of plagues, he had a pattern. The first two, he would give a command, he would give a warning, and then he would give the plague because Pharaoh refused to obey him. And then that third plague 
There was no command. There was no warning. God just performed the plague. And then there was the second series. And in the second series, we see that God had a specific purpose for this series of plagues too. He was building, introducing himself to Egypt and to Israel for that matter. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 22, he says that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. So the first series, he was letting it be known that he is the Lord. The second series, he's letting it be known that he is a God who's present. And then the third series that we're going to be closing out, the Lord lets it be known that this series was for another specific purpose. And we see that in chapter 9, verse 14. So that you may know that there is no God, there is none like me in all the earth. So the Lord is letting it be known through these three series of plagues that he is the Lord, he's present in the earth, and that he's in full control. And in these series, two plagues, there are commands, warnings, plague, and then the third, no warning, I'm just going to let you see that I'm God. And so here now, we're going to be in chapter 10. It's the third plague in this third series, no command. No warning. God's going to let it be known that there's none like him in all the earth. And it's my prayer that by the time we're done this morning, that we can say the lyrics to those songs. There's nothing like the love of Jesus, and there's no place else that I'd rather be. But before we dive into Exodus chapter 10, I ask that you would pray with me, pray for me. Father, we are abundantly grateful that you first loved us, that you chose us, that you saw us where we were, condemned already, and that you love us so much that you would send your son to rescue us out of slavery, to sin, death, and the grave, and to be called into the marvelous light that we might be called sons and daughters of God. Father, as we go into your word on this morning, open our hearts and minds to see that there's nothing like your love. May you continue to draw us deeper, bring us closer. Like Moses, we just want to get to know you, that we might love you and live for you. And we need you to speak to us as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus. Chapter 10, verses 21 through 29 read. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. 
Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. And as we peer into this ninth plague, the final plague in this three-plague series, we're going to see exactly what God was doing in performing this plague of darkness. But in order to understand it, we have to take a look back at the two plagues that preceded this one because we see the condemning statements that God makes of Pharaoh. First in Exodus 9, verse 17, the Lord says of Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Pharaoh's pride is causing him to think that he is king. He is ruler over the children of Israel. And God is saying, these are my people. I am their king. I am their God. You are exalting yourself above my people. And God has taken that personally because these are his people. And then we see in the next plague, the plague of locusts, that God has another condemning statement of Pharaoh. Verses 3, 2 and 3. That you may know that I am the Lord. The Lord is going to make himself known to Israel through these plagues. And then he goes on through Moses to say to to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. You refuse to humble yourself before me. You refuse to obey my commands. You think that you can stand toe to toe with the creator of the universe. You refuse to let my people go. So after those two plagues, the Lord in this third plague, in this third series, gives no command, no warning. He is now going to humble Pharaoh, who is exalting himself, who's taking in pride. Because Pharaoh's about to learn a very valuable lesson. Pride comes before the fall, and a haughty spirit leads to destruction. And so God tells Moses, to stretch out his hand toward heaven, that darkness may come over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. We can't even pretend to experience this kind of darkness. Turn off all the lights, get some black curtains, close your eyes. There's still going to be a hint of light in the air. But there's going to be so much darkness that you can feel it. Pitch darkness. In the land of Egypt for three days, so dark that no one even got up to move. Can't see your hand in front of your face. Kind of darkness. And what we have to understand, some context, my brother Sean pointed out last week, that Ra is the sun god that Egypt worshipped. And in their pantheon of gods, Ra was always at least in the top three. Some historians say that he was the number one. And there may have been one point even in the land of Egypt where Ra, the sun god, was considered the only god. And so here now God, the one who is going to make it be known that there is none like him, creates a darkness that could be felt in all of Egypt. Where is your hero now? Where is your great and mighty God? 
In other words, there is none like me. I am God and I am God alone is what God is making very clear by this plague of darkness. But Pharaoh, after seeing this for three days, you would think that he would now submit to the one and true, the only God of gods and king of kings. But rather than submitting, Pharaoh in his pride and his arrogance looks to negotiate. He tells Moses, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. So again, if you were here for the last two months, you remember that the command was very clear. Men, women, children, and all the animals are to go a three-day's journey into the wilderness to worship. So even after God demonstrating that he is the true and living God, greater than all gods that Egypt may worship, Pharaoh still does not humble himself. He's still refusing to do what God commands. And then we see as a result of that, verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now, some people hear this and they think that that's not right, that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, how can Pharaoh make a right decision if God hardens his heart? And what we must understand before we think that we can try to understand the heart of God and why God would do all that he does, remember who Pharaoh is and what Pharaoh did. And if we look back again at the series of plagues, we'd see that this hardening of Pharaoh's heart is as much a consequence for Pharaoh's refusal to obey God as the plague of darkness. So allow me to skim through the previous plagues so that we can see that this hardening of Pharaoh's heart is a consequence of rejecting the true and living God. In chapter 7, we saw that Pharaoh demanded of Moses and Aaron to prove that they were in fact servants of God by a miracle. And Moses tells Aaron to throw his staff down. The staff becomes a snake. But here, after seeing that, they prove themselves. Pharaoh refused to listen. Verse 13 of chapter 7, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And so then we see the first plague, the Nile being turned to blood. And you'd think that after that, okay, well, Pharaoh probably is going to get a clue and now he's going to let the children of Israel go. No, but we see in chapter 7, verse 22, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And then the second plague comes along and God lets Pharaoh know, listen, if you refuse to do what I say, I'm going to send these frogs. Pharaoh has the frogs take over the land. He's like, please make it stop. The Lord makes it stop. You think Pharaoh would do what he said? Nope. Verse 15 of chapter 8. But when Pharaoh saw that, the, that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then there was the third plague, the plague of the gnats. We see in chapter 8, verse 19. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Anybody keeping count? It's four times now that Pharaoh had an opportunity, and he refused to do what God had said. He was being arrogant. He was not listening. He was disobeying the command of God. 
So the Lord sends another plague. Maybe it'll get Pharaoh's attention, the plague of the flies. And still, Pharaoh's heart, we see here in chapter 8, verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. And then a sixth time, in the fifth plague, the livestock, the severe plague on the livestock. You think Pharaoh would let him go? Nope. Verse 7 of chapter 9. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. It wasn't until the sixth plague, the seventh time, the plague of the boils, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh had time after time after time to respond rightly to the commands of the creator, and he refused. And here's a truth that we're all going to have to wrestle with. You cannot repeatedly reject the commands of the creator and not expect it to go really bad for you. And that's not something I made up. The scriptures tell us. Romans chapter 1. I really wanted to read it all, but I'm going to pick a couple of sections. You go back and read chapter 1, read chapter 2 while you're at it. You're going to get a little bit more of who God is and understand what God is doing and to see that God is just. He's holy. And we can't question his actions. We'll start at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God makes himself known. He's a gracious and loving God, and that's what we've been seeing through the plagues. God is making himself known. And even though he makes himself known through his creation, still, though they know God, they do not honor him as God. And we see the consequences that come from repeatedly rejecting a God who graciously makes himself known. Verse 28 Through 32, Romans chapter 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they rejected him, refused to obey him. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. How did that get on the list? This is God's word. Don't just sit there and ignore your parents and think that that's cool. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, 
but give approval to those who practice them. God says you repeatedly reject the word of God, you will be given over to a debased mind. The King James Version uses the word reprobate. It means reject, cast away. It paints a picture of worthlessness. In other words, God gives you over to a mind that's worthless. It's a mind that cannot save you. It's a mind that cannot heal you. It's a mind that cannot get you right. He leaves you to your own devices. And Jesus lets us know that if you're left to yourself, to a debased mind, a hardened heart, you're in bad shape because there's only one possible outcome for you. John chapter 3, starting at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So here it is. If you do not come to Jesus Christ, it's not, oh, but you were a good person, and because you did some nice things, you're going to get a good reward. No, if you reject Jesus, you're condemned already. See, so when we think of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh was condemned already. God was graciously making himself known, and Pharaoh repeatedly rejected God. And so he was just being handed over to his own self. His hardened heart, his debased mind, because he rejected a God who would make himself known, caused him to have the only outcome that was destined for one who does not come to their creator. We cannot repeatedly reject the only one who could save our souls and think that we're just good people. And see, I just need to park here for just a moment because I know that that's hard for us to grapple with sometimes. Because you know some people who are really sweet. And they do great things. Feed the hungry. Go and visit the sick. Just so kind. Right? So self-serving. Okay. But they're doing it for what reason? Are we really just good in and of ourselves? Can we do enough good acts and then look at God and say, all right, I did those 10 things. Look at how many hungry people I've fed. Yep, I've paid my entry fee into glory. There's no one that is good in and of themselves. Every single person who has a belly button was born in the sin, shaped in iniquity. Just do a check with me real quick. You don't need to lift it up. You should be able to, yep, that's you. 
You're on your way to hell without Jesus. Michael, you can't say hell in church. Where am I supposed to say it then? Jesus said it. I'm going to say it. If you don't come to Jesus, you have one outcome, condemnation. But here's the great news. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Not to condemn the world, but to give us an opportunity to be rescued from the condemnation that was rightfully due us. But if you keep rejecting him, it's one outcome. Condemnation. It's a weight that we all need to sit in. See, because if we really believe this, If we really know this to be true, if you don't know Jesus and you're in this room, you're coming to him today. If you do know Jesus and you know someone who doesn't know Jesus, what are you going to do? Just going to hope that we can get along and play nice and not let them know what's really going on? Not going to try and make sure that this conversation starts to turn just a little bit so that you can plant a seed or water a seed of the only one who can rescue them. And we can't just ignore this truth because that person that you love, if they repeatedly reject God, they have one outcome. A hardened heart, a debased mind, condemnation. And God doesn't want that for anyone and neither should we. Like Pharaoh, everybody has a choice. But God lovingly makes sure that everybody knows no one will be without excuse. And even in the consequences of this plague, we see the compassion of a caring creator. See, because that's exactly what God is doing. He's making sure that it's known that he is the only God. There is none like him in all the earth. And so not only does God make sure it's pitch darkness in Egypt, he makes sure that there's light in Goshen. There's a distinction that God makes. These are my people. These are not my people. My people are in the light. Those who are not my people are in complete and utter darkness. You want light? You need to cross over and become a part of my people. God systematically dismantles every idol that Egypt would raise above him so that it might be abundantly clear that there is none like me. What idol are you putting on the shelf saying, but I think if I get this, this, and that, my top three, then I know that I'll be okay. God is saying, take that off, that off, and remove that too, me and me alone. And there's nothing that you add to God. So I'm going to walk through your life, and I'm going to make sure that it's very clear that there's nothing that will satisfy your soul but me. Listen, people of God, it's a very loving thing that God does to make sure he starts to remove the idols in your life. It's not accidental that a pandemic sweeps through the globe. We laughed at it February, January. Of 2020, we mocked other nations. November 2019, who laughing now? The most powerful nation 
supposedly decimated by a bug, a virus. Humbling, extremely humbling. Your money couldn't change it. Your position couldn't change it. Your lofty goals could do nothing to stop it. Where do you turn? Move, move, move. God, I need you. I need you. And God lovingly puts us in positions where we see this truth. We have to make a choice. Where are we going to run to? Where are we going to go? So in this consequence, God's compassion, don't turn to Ra. Turn to me. And again, before it's all said and done, we're going to see a mixed multitude left with Israel. Egyptians were a part of the group of the people that were going to worship God in the wilderness. See, because if we don't get too far ahead of the story, they still weren't leaving Egypt just yet. They were just going to worship. And there were Egyptians that were going with them to worship the true and living God because they recognized, man, frogs, water, Flies, gnats, livestock, I mean, hail, locusts, the sun. All right, we're going to roll with you all for just a little bit. How far out you all going? All right, I'm going to bring a few, a few uh, sheep and camels and, and livestock with us as well. Because your God gets all props. That's right. Bow down to the true and living God. And here's the part that really encouraged me this week. And I pray that it charges and challenges us all. God is still making it abundantly clear that he's available. That you don't have to stay in darkness. That you can come to the light. But now he's not doing it by having pitch darkness in Egypt and light in Goshen. He's doing it through you and through me. We are the light. The light that's supposed to draw people out of darkness into the love of God. Somebody said, Mike, you're going to have to read some scripture to help me see that one. Great. I'm so glad you like the church in Berea. Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't know the church in Berea, you got to read through Acts. It's a good homework assignment this week. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 5. I hear some people turning there. You all better go ahead and use your Bibles. (laughs) Ephesians 5, 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who's covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Still rejecting them. Wrath is coming. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You were once darkness, 
Love how Paul doesn't say you were in darkness. No, you just were darkness, all of you. You're just full of darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. So you were in Egypt, a slave to sin. But because of the love of Jesus Christ, you have come not only into the light, but the light has come in you. Now you are light in the Lord. And so the admonishment from Paul to the people of God is walk as children of light so that those who are still darkness might see the love of Christ and be drawn out of darkness, right? That's why Jesus says in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. Let your light The light of the Lord's love in you shines so bright out of you that someone else might glorify the Father who loves you and loves them enough to send you to let them see his love. God is still on the move. And he's still making it abundantly clear that there's a distinction between his people and the people of the world. But God is not simply doing that. So that we can say we're on the winning team and you're losers. No, he's left us here so that we can be light. So that the people can look over at Goshen and say, man, I thought we had the sun God. But their God is controlling the sun. Do you think it could be that what they have is stronger than what we have? Well, how could that be? I don't know, but let me walk on over to the light and see. Right, that's why the admonishment is so clear. Walk as children of light. It's critical that we live in such a way that the world can see something different from what they do. Someone asked me a question, Michael, so do you look to live counterculturally? I said, no, I don't look to live counter to the culture. I look to live obedient to God. It just so happens to be that God is nothing like man's culture. But I'm not sitting here trying to figure out, okay, how can I be different than you so that I can... No, I'm just looking to live in obedience to God because that's what children of God do. We do not repeatedly reject the counsel of a creator who would send his only son to die for our sins so that we can become his children. We're not disobedient to our parent. Right, because that is as condemning as someone who's a murderer, a thief, as someone who rejects God. So as children of God, we obey our creator. And our creator is saying, I need you to live like light. Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is true, you do. And others will see something different in you. And maybe, just maybe you'll hear that question. Why do you have a peace in the middle of a pandemic? Why do you have a joy when everything is looking so hard? Why do you have hope in a world where people are just bullying others because they have bigger weapons? I have the light, the light of the Lord's love in me is what anchors my soul. Allow me to introduce him to you. 
But there's nothing that's more damaging to the witness of the body of Christ than division. That's why Paul was addressing it to the church in Corinth. See, because if we can be divided, where's the love in that? If we can just be arguing and fighting with each other, you know, someone else is going to appear and be like, oh, that dysfunctional family. I, I thought my family was bad. No. They should look in and see. Like, why do you all, why do you all walk through hard things together? Why don't you just quit and walk out? You don't have to deal with that. That's what people would have us to believe. Yes, we do have to deal with that. Yes, we do walk through that. Why? Because we walk in the light. And people need to see the light. That's why we're still here, people of God. I mean, do you really believe that God left you here because he wanted you to see if you can go ahead and get that promotion or, or buy that mansion? No. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Well, what did you send Jesus for, Dad? I sent him so that the world might see my love. Oh, so how are you sending us? So that the world might see your love through us? Yes. Now live love. And let the world's mind be blown so they might be drawn in. See, so you can either leave this morning hearing condemnation, or you can leave this morning hearing compassion, grace, and mercy. That God has every right to wipe us all out right now. But he gives opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You say, Michael, I get the point. No, you don't. After opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And I could keep going, but now I'll stop. What a gracious and merciful God. What compassion. What love. Are we living that love out? I was thinking about it this morning. It's different being married to a pastor and being children of a pastor because you don't know what he's going to say. And then when you say it, everybody looks over at you. So they're like, Michael, just hold, hold your position. You know, my wife is the most just loving. She's like, Mike, just, just smile and let the people know that I'm not disturbed by what he's about to say. <coughs> right? But it's been almost 20 years, so she knows she's still here because of the love of Jesus. I love you. And so <coughs> you use our marriage as an example because it's a good one. Right? As we think about what it looks like to be children of light. You can be right and wrong all at the same time if you don't let love lead you. We were coming into service this morning as it's time to talk about being children of light. And we were running a little bit behind because Jomar was taking care of a lot of things. Not that she was just late of herself. I probably should have been more helpful this morning. But we were running a little bit behind and it looked like it was Jomar's fault. And there have been times, because I love to be punctual, and that doesn't mean 10 a.m., that means 9.45. Right. I like to be punctual, that it could have started to get a little tense. I feel like, oh, man, here we go again. 
But I was reminded, Michael, what's the point? To be punctual or to let the love of the Lord shower on your wife and your marriage in this moment? And I was like, Lord, thank you so much for your living and breathing word. That I could never get to a place where I think I know enough about God that I don't still need God's word to remind me. Michael, don't get on your high horse and start speaking down at people because you need my grace and mercy too. Right? And so at times you're thinking, okay, well, we need to live the light of the Lord's love in the world, and we do. But it starts here. Right? If you're married, your spouse should experience the light of the Lord's love. If you have siblings, they should experience the light of the Lord's love. If you're a believer in Christ, there may have been some things that you disagreed with, but I mean, come and at least tell me in a loving way. Right? We should allow love to lead us. And if we do that in this space, then we can go into the workplace and into the grocery store, and we can talk to wayward family members and friends in a way that's drawing and compelling. You know the statement, you draw more bees with honey than with vinegar, which is not really true because bees like nectar and they make honey, but that's okay. We have all kinds of sayings that just are foolish, but you, you know what people mean, right? How are we drawing people in? What's the nectar that we're letting them? Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Come and get a taste of Jesus. And that's where you'll want to stay because there's nothing like his love. I want to call the praise team to come back up. I want you to get really practical today, family. Really. I want you to think of your drive-in to service. Or I want you to think of your afternoon after this service. We don't have to go too far. For this word to touch us. And if you live life with other humans, there are plenty of opportunities to let the love of God lead and not what's bothering you. And so where is it that you need to personally consider, am I being light so that Pharaoh, Egypt, those who are darkness might see the love of God. And in that place that that's not happening, please listen. There may be somebody that you need to forgive. It's one of the hardest concepts in my years of pastoring that I've found for believers. Seems like forgiveness is a hard thing to practice. Because if I forgive them, am I saying that what they did was okay? No. But my forgiving them is saying that I've received the love that I didn't deserve. So the scriptures say, forgive. You must forgive as you have been forgiven. And one of the things that make it the hardest to live out the love of God, to be the light of the Lord's love in a world that's darkness, is bitterness, anger, hate. And that all stirs up and builds up because of a lack of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. 
between you and the Lord. Lord, I forgive them because you have forgiven me. Reconciliation, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But some of us today need to release some of the hate and the hurt because that's the block that's keeping you from demonstrating the distinction between the darkness and the light. And there's nothing that should be greater than the love of God. So don't make that your idol. Don't make that the thing that distracts you from living out the love of God. And if you say, well, Michael, it's not forgiveness for me, then you know what it is for you. The Holy Spirit is real and he's in this place and he's moving in our hearts. You know what it is for you. And let me ask you, what is worth rejecting the love of a God who makes himself known to you? What idol? So for just a few moments, you and Jesus, identify the idol and let it be burned in the light of the Son of God. And when we leave here today, please, please, don't leave here holding on to anything and anyone but the only one who can save your soul. I'm going to pray for us after a couple of moments, but I really do encourage you to take a moment. Go before the throne of grace. Spend time with your dad. He wants to hear from you.